The threatening Jesus. That's the Jesus that I like. <laughs> gets, gets right to business. I love it. All right. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and open them to John chapter 11. If you're new or visiting with us this morning, we're in this series we're calling The Story. We've been going through all the, the major narratives of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And so we're really excited that we get to continue our, our narrative this morning. Now, it's one thing for us Christians to claim that God exists. The world, I believe, can handle that to some degree. Most people can, can handle that there is a God and He made the stars and billions and billions of them and beyond the stars there's galaxies and beyond and beyond that there's more and more stars. To some degree, I believe our world can handle that. But it's a whole other thing to say God exists but it's a, and, and then to say, but then it's a whole other thing to say that God revealed Himself through the man Jesus Christ. That's a big leap. And the world rightfully so struggles with this. According to the Bible in the Old Testament, people got confused about the way God worked and, and the way that He did business, so to say, and the way that He operated. So the New Testament is written so you and I may know what God is truly like. The purpose of Jesus Christ is to not only to redeem us, to bridge the gap between you and I and, and God because of our sin, but one of the primary purposes of God or the Scriptures in the New Testament and of Jesus is that we, we would be able to look into the life of Jesus and learn what God is truly like. God is not only Redeemer, He's the Revealer. As you watch the life of Jesus, You'll say, wow, that's what God is really like. When the lame are walking and the blind are seeing and the paralytic picks up his mat and walks out, you'll say, wow, that's what God is like. He's compassionate. When Jesus is rigorous with the religious leaders, you'll say, wow, that's what Jesus is like. He doesn't like religion all that much. When Jesus talks about relationships, you'll say, that's what God wants. He wants a relationship, not rituals. That's what He wants from us. To understand our Scripture today, I think it's important we have to take a moment and explain the Trinity to you real quick. You might be sitting here, I know what that is. I went through Sunday school a million times. I know what that is, but I think it's important that we just kind of review that. We go over it. You see, John 11 is an account that we often miss, and it's usually only a Scripture that we only see around Easter. But I believe it's written in a way to explain and, re and reveal to us what God is really like. To really grasp John 11, you have to understand and grasp what the Bible says about the Trinity. Let's say that, for instance, this morning, this is God, this is the, the God box, so to say, it's, and I know God's not Plato, you can't put God in a, a, God, you know, in a box, I understand all that, um, but just stick with me for a moment so we can go through this. But according to the Scriptures, God is three persons in one, so you have the God the Father, you have God the Son, and you have God the Holy Spirit. Hopefully you guys can all see those. They fell earlier, so I don't know if they'll stay up, but we'll see. <laughs> they are all made out of the same essence. They all come from the God box, right? And so often you and I struggle with this because we say, how can three people be one, right? We say that. The reason we struggle with this is, is because we, we're created within time and space. And God is eternal, right? How many of you can really grasp that God is eternal? Like, 
grasp that, that, I mean, our God, our living God doesn't have a beginning and there's no end to him. You know, you know that it's true, but do you really know how it works? If God, if God didn't have a beginning, if God had a beginning, then the person who made God would be God. God wouldn't be God if, if, if he had a beginning. God is the only entity who is self-existing. That means he doesn't depend on anything outside of himself to exist. You and I depend on God to exist, right? He gave us life. He breathed life into us. But God doesn't depend on anything because he's self-existing. Because God is self-existing, he cannot be limited by anything. He create. He. He, he can't be limited by anything that he's created. He cre- God created time and space, and that's why, that's why you and I think in time and space, because he created that. There's a beginning and there's an end. But if God is not limited by time and space, that means that God can be everywhere at the same time, which means it's not that big of a deal for God to be fully present as God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is able to divide himself up and be fully present as God the Father, God the Son, and the God the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons in... There it goes. <laughs> and one, I will need that. <laughs> this is important to understand, though. Each member is fully present and fully with them. And that's why in Philippians it says that Jesus is the perfect reflection of God. Jesus is God. This is important because the role of the second member of the Trinity, Jesus, right here, this isn't really him, but just for this, the second member of the Trinity, Jesus, came to earth in the form of a man. He's still God. He's still fully God. Still out of the God box, right? So he humbled him. He humbles himself, and part of the reason is he can re- so he can reveal to us what God is truly like. It's one thing to know that God exists, though. It's another to have a relationship with God. And you can't have a relationship with someone you don't know, right? You, you have to have, a, to have a relationship with a woman or a man. You, do, you don't have a relationship with them unless you get to really know them. He, and here's the thing. God wants to know us. He wants us to know who he true, what He truly is like. And here's why in chapter 11, this is so important, as we, as we read through it this morning. In John chapter 11, God answers the question that most of us have about the workings of God. And the question is this. If the kingdom of God has come, why does my life stink? John 11 is written to reveal the nature, workings, and doing of God when your life stinks. When life gets tough and everything to seems to be going wrong, we can turn to John 11 and get some answers. Jesus, and, and to set this up, Jesus has, has left Jerusalem, and he left because people there wanted to kill him, because he was doing miracles. You have to understand that if you're doing miracles, it means you're God, which means you're speaking the truth. And people know that if, if, if Jesus was speaking the truth, they had to change the way they live, Right? The people of Jerusalem would rather kill Jesus than change the way they would live. So they thought it would be easier. Let's just kill him. That message hasn't changed over 2,000 years. See, when I speak to people, or when you speak to people, uh, to someone who is seeking the truth of Jesus, and we try to, to teach them about that and talk to them about that, if they're, if they're willing and open to, to hear that word, 
they're going to be willing to change, right? But a lot of people who hear about Jesus are afraid they're going to have to change their lives. Even so their life stinks, they're afraid they're going to have to change. They're afraid and they often hesitate to make the change needed. This happens all the time. So start, starting in verse, uh, John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Right off the bat, we have a ton of information thrown at us right here. Think about it. Every time you read about a healing in the New Testament, it says, and then the blind man, and then the, the lame, and then the paralytic man. It never, it never ever gives a name. But something is different about this story. Not here. It gives a name. We have a name with the story we're about to read. The writer is trying to tell us that this isn't just some person that Jesus just walked upon and came across of. This is a close friend of Jesus. And his name is Lazarus. He's so close that when his sisters send word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick, they don't even use the word, they don't even use his name Lazarus. They don't even use his name. They just say, and it says in verse 3, Lord, the one you love is sick. How would you like to be so close to Jesus he doesn't even need to hear your name. Verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, which means in verse 6, as if you keep reading, verse 6 makes absolutely no sense. It says, So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Jesus is about four kilometers, about two and a half miles, away from Bethany where Lazarus, Mary, and Martha are at. He hears the word, he hears the word that Lazarus is sick, his friend, his best mate. This is his, his very best friend, his BFF. He's so close to them. He knows them well. They are all close friends. They probably go out after church to lunch together on Sundays. They are so close. And he hears that his friend is sick. And he doesn't make a move. And he does something. He waits. From Mary and Martha's point, you can understand what the problem is. Because Mary and Martha not only know Jesus as a friend, this is a powerful friend. They know, they know that the paralytic has picked up his mat and walked. They know he's fed 5,000. They know that he's calmed the seas. They are expecting Jesus to drop everything right now and come and help Lazarus. Verse 7, And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea, which tells us he's willing to go. He just wanted to wait two days. And now you and I know the rest of the story. He's waiting two days for Lazarus to die. What a friend we have in Jesus. <laughs> if you're Mary and Martha, you're thinking exactly that, right? Verses 8 through 10. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews, the Jews there tried to stone you, and, and yet you are going back. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble. For they see by this world's light, it is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Jesus is saying, my time hasn't come yet. I'm not, my time for me to die hasn't come yet. Let's go, boys. We're going to go do this. That's what he's saying there. Verse 11, after he had said this, he went, up on, he, went, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. The, the, the disciples are saying here, well, if he's just falling asleep, he'll get better, right? He'll wake up, right? Because when you fall asleep, you, you always wake up. Verses 14 and 15, Jesus, give, Jesus gives it straight, straight to them. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. 
And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And if you're a disciple, you're thinking, believe what? Believe that you're a bad friend? You love Mary? You love Martha, right? He's, you, you hear that they're sick, and you wait until he dies. And now, you're, and now you're telling us you're glad it happened, that you weren't there? And believe what? They're asking him, believe what? That you're a bad friend? Jesus, you stink at this. No. Verse 16, Then Thomas said to the rest of his disciples, let us, all, let us also go, that we may die with him. This is not courage coming from him. This is not courage from Thomas. This is sarcasm. And stay with me on this one. Mary and Martha had sent word to Jesus. They knew exactly how much time it would take for Jesus from the time he took to receive the word from the time it would take him to get to Mary and Martha's. They knew exactly how much time. They're, and remember, this is... Jesus is, is a, Lazarus is, is Mary and Martha's brother, their friend, right? And they know, and Jesus knows that Lazarus is near death. They know how long it would take Jesus to walk two miles, probably about 30 minutes, right? And, and it came back, and, and to come back and help their friend. They keep looking out the window, right? But the minutes keep ticking by, and they don't see Jesus. Lazarus is getting more and more sick. They look out the window again. Still no Jesus. Lazarus is getting close to death. People around town have come uh, into, from the community. They've come to see Mary and Martha. And, he's, and Jesus, he's only 30 minutes away. But still no Jesus. Lazarus is ready to die and they look out the window just, just one last time. But still no Jesus. Hours and days go by and, and Lazarus dies. They have the funeral. They go to the graveside service. Mary and Martha, I think they, I, I imagine them looking over their shoulder. Jesus, it's not too late. They look over their shoulder again. Still no Jesus. And then they put Lazarus into the tomb. They take the stone and they're, and they're about to roll it over the entryway and, and Mary and Martha, I imagine them looking over their shoulders. Just one more time. It's not too late. Look over their shoulders, but still, no Jesus. And then they roll the stone over the tome, and, and Lazarus is gone. You know, I remember several years ago, I got word that my grandmother had, had bone marrow cancer, and she was very sick and ill. And, and if you know anything about this type of cancer, it's just one of those cancers very few people can overcome and live through. And I remember the whole family thinking, you know what, Grandma's different. She's going to survive this one. Maybe a miracle will happen. She's going to beat this one. She's going to be one of the lucky few. And I remember how quickly the cancer took over her body. She was so weak and she was so sick. And it was only a couple months from when we first found out. I remember my dad calling me saying, hey, just be ready to fly home. It's just a few days away. And we still thought, you know what? Maybe Jesus will show up. Maybe, maybe a miracle will happen on this one. It's not too late. And then a couple days before Christmas, I remember my dad calls me and said, Grandma died. And so I fly home to be with my family. And at the visitation and at the graveside service, I remember some of us looking over our shoulders. Maybe Jesus will show up. Maybe he'll be here. 
Maybe, maybe one, one miracle. And I remember thinking, God, there are so many other people right now that you could have taken. But you've taken her. You know, God, there's terrorists out there. There's people wreaking havoc on our world. And, and you take my grandmother? Maybe you can relate. Maybe you thought, God, maybe, maybe you've lost a, a family member or a parent or a loved one, or a friend, and, and God just took them too soon. And you thought, maybe you thought the same thing. God, there, there's ISIS out there. Take care of them. God, there's a crazy guy in Charleston who, who killed a bunch of people out of Bible study. Take him out. Why the person I love? You know, when Jesus finally shows up, and he does, he meets two people. Mary and Martha. And don't overlook what he says to them. Pay, pay close attention. I don't want you to overlook this next part. Verse 21, Lord Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's saying, dude, where have you been? You were just over the hill. You were two miles away. I, we knew where you were. We sent word to you. And we also sent you another message after that and another one and another one. Where were you, Jesus? You could have walked here in 30 minutes. If you, wouldn't, if you were here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Where have you been? You call yourself a friend? And Jesus immediately cuts her off and he says this, your, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Jesus is saying, Martha, you know who I am. You're the sister of my BFF. You've, we've had dinner together. I'm the Christ. I'm the King. The Messiah. You, Martha, you know my power. You know what I can do. Why are you treating me like this? I own the keys to life and death. And if I want to raise Lazarus now, I can do it. And I didn't need to come when he was sick. I can do it three months from now if I want. Martha, do you believe this? And then, then look what happens. He meets Mary. And Mary says the same exact thing to Jesus, but responds completely different. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is the same exact thing Martha just said to him. Mary says, Jesus, where were you? You were just over the hill, 30 minutes away. If you were here, my brother would not have died. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. In the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus moved beside Mary and he broke down in pain and began to weep. And if Jesus came to earth in the form of a man and, and the Jesus is the second part of the Trinity, what Jesus is trying to show us is that the God who created all things is capable of crying for you too. And you might say, well, I don't get that. Why? Stop all this whining and crying. Come on. Bring him out of the grave and everything will be fine. 
Jesus pauses. Even so, he knows what's about to happen. He still pauses. He still shows up, and he weeps and he cries. You know, in the Old Testament, there's this, there was this thing called sitting sevens. It's, and, and what it is, it's any time you come up on somebody who was weeping or were mourning over a loss, you sit with them for seven days without saying a word. And I believe this is so that you and I won't say anything stupid because we always do in someone's time of mourning. When people are in deep pain and suffering and mourning, we tend to say something that, that makes us feel better, right? Because their pain is inconvenient stuff inconvenienced us. It's, it's the, I'll keep you in my prayers all over again, isn't it? Sitting sevens. When Jesus comes into town, he, he meets Martha, and he knows, he knows Martha needs the truth to believe in God. We know that, we know that, that, that to be true, too, because uh, from the other things that we read about Martha's life in the, in the New Testament, and Jesus says, Martha, wake up. You know who I am. There's hope. There's eternity. I'm going to restore all things. You know the power that I have, Martha. Don't lose sight of the truth. I can raise him from the dead right now if I want to. You know, some people who come to Christ are, like, are just like Martha. They need the cold, hard facts. They need, they need the truth. They need proof that Jesus was really here, that Jesus was really who they said he was. And Martha was this kind of person. And I believe that is why Jesus responds to her the way that he did. And then he meets Mary. He gives her no truth at all. He doesn't talk about restoration or redemption or reconciliation. All he talks about is this. Sitting sevens. He doesn't try to get into her head like he did with Martha and give her truth. He just stands alongside her and begins to cry and weep with her. This is the Savior that you and I need. This is what we're looking for. In your moment of suffering, if somebody gives you truth, it's offensive, right? But if somebody only gives you emotion and feeling, that's also offensive too. You need both truth and tears, and that's the only way healing can come. Jesus is the only one who can give you both. He is big enough to give you truth because He's of the God stuff. And small enough that he made himself nothing to come to planet earth so that he would experience the human experience. Not so that he would know how he lived, but so that we would know how he lived. Hebrews 2.17 For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way and in order that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Only Jesus can give you both truth and tears, and that's what you need for healing. Truth and tears. It's, all, it's what we're all looking for. See, some of you in this room this morning, you guys are fixers. You're very good at, at spouting off Bible verses, and, and we know them all, to people that are in pain. And you want to fix everything. You want to make them right. And maybe a, a Bible verse will make them right and that everything's going to be fine. Others of you, you're feelers. You come beside people and you say, I'm so sorry, and you might cry with them, but you give them no truth. You would never do, you would never do what a fixer would do. As a feeler, you don't want to offend anybody. You just want to cry with everybody. 
If John 11 is about God revealing to us what he's like, then our takeaway from this is that God, God is a fixer and a feeler. He gives us both truth and tears. Not only that, but he knows what to give what person and when. He knows exactly what you need right now. Some people need truth first, right? And, and they have... And, before they have the crying part. But other people, they need the crying first before they hear the truth. And Jesus knows exactly which comes first for each person. Here's what you need to get from this. As people, as Christians, as members of Huntsville Christian Church, our biggest impact in this community isn't going to be from standing on a corner yelling things at people. Your biggest impact is going to be showing people compassion to the point that they trust you so that they will ask you about the hope that resides within you. That's why when, when me and John, whoever's up here on Sunday mornings, and we're speaking and we're preaching a message, there shouldn't be an empty seat in this room. When you bring an unchurched friend to church, you better believe you're, you're going to hear preach the Gospel. They're going to get the truth, but also in a place where people love them and have compassion for them, especially during their time of pain and struggle. I've never won anybody to Christ through apologetics. Never. I've broken down some barriers, but ultimately it's about relationships and compassion. When you show people that you love them, they're open to what you have to say, that's when you break the barriers down. Jesus did this time and time and time again. You need truth in tears. This is how our story ends. Verse, verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a, there's a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? I can just see Jesus looking at Martha. Martha, are you serious? You think an odor is going to stop me from raising Lazarus? And he's looking at her. You think that's going to stop me from raising a, a stench? No way. That's the King James Version too. If you read that, that'll say that one. <laughs> so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I think... I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing there, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Some, say, some theologians say that if Jesus had not said Lazarus, all the dead people would have come out. No, just, just Lazarus. <laughs> the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a, and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let them go. Jesus' priority for you is not convenience. If you're looking for health and wealth and prosperity, you can go five miles in any direction of this church and find a church there. You're not going to get it here. If Jesus' priority for his own son was not convenience, what makes us think that, is, that would be his priority for us? His priority for his own son would that, was that he would die to glorify God, to bring those who were far near to Him. If that's true of our own, if, if that's true of His own Son, I'm saying that you and I have been bought with a price. And we are God's to do with as He pleases to bring glory to Himself. You want to know what God is like? 
He wants, you to use, he wants you to use your life to glorify His name. And in those seasons of your life that, requ- that require something difficult, He's going to weep with you. And He's going to stand right beside you. You get to know God more deeply and intimately in times of pain than you will ever know. And you talk to anyone that's lost a loved one and they can tell you the exact same thing. He will be closer to you in, in your time of pain and in pleasure. In pleasure, we tend to forget about Him because we don't think we need Him. I'll, I want to close with this one last story. And I, I want to tell you something about the story. It's, it's a true story. And, and not because I found it on the internet, but I did some research, found it out. It's, it's, and, and I don't want it, and you can say everything on the internet is real, but it's not. Um, but this, this, is a, this is a true story. There was a little boy in, in Naples, Florida, and he, and he took his dog out for a walk. He goes out with his dog, and they, they go into the woods, and, and he comes up on an Arizona diamondback, and, and, and it bit him right around the ankle. The snake bit him numerous times, and, and, the, po- and the poison immediately entered into his body. He, he tried to, to stumble his way back home, but he, he fell on the road out front. Nobody knows how long he sat on the road out, out in front of his house, but about that time, his dad comes into the room, uh, into the kitchen, getting a, a glass of water, and he looks out the window, and he sees his boy laying there in the road. As soon as he saw this, the, the dad runs out to him, and, and uh, he, he, he knew exactly what happened, that he had, bit, he had been bitten by a snake. He picked up the boy. He got into his car and, to make the 15-minute journey to the medical center. Halfway there, the, the car breaks down. So he's standing out there in the, in the road and, and, and he's got his boy in his, his arms and a farmer comes up along and he says, I'll, I'll take you guys the rest of the, the seven and a half miles to the, to the medical clinic. And they go in the medical clinic and the doctor sees the little boy and, and sees the bite and, and does some investigation and, and says to the father, I'm sorry, it's been too long. There's nothing I can do. There's, there's, not, there's another medical clinic though. Another, another 20 miles from here. But I'm telling you, I've been a doctor for, for 25 years. It, your, your son's not going to make it. The father was desperate like any father would be, and he, he gets a ride to the next medical clinic 25 miles up, up the road. and um, He's up there, and the doctor there, same thing. Did some investigation and looked at the bite, told him the same thing. Your, your boy's not going to make it. There's, there's too much poison. It's, it's been in his body uh, far too long. We're going to do what we can do, but, but don't get your hopes up. The doctor says, in all my years of, of being a doctor, I've never seen anybody recover from something like this, especially a little boy. 48 hours later, the boy wakes up, and, and this, is what the, this is what the doctor said. In all my years of medicine, I've never seen someone recover with so much poison in their system. This is indeed fascinating. The little boy at this time had heard what the doctor had said and, and, to his parents, and, and the boy's response is this, Doctor, I, I, I know how it happened. I was out in the woods, and, and that snake, it made its way toward me and, and sank its fangs into my shoe. If it weren't for my dog, I, 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 I wouldn't have, have finished. My, my dog got the snake away from me, though. I began hobbling toward the house, and I knew I wasn't going to make it. Then a figure in complete white there in the forest, picked me up, held me tight, and said, "Little boy, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna be all right, but you're gonna be sick for some time. But do not worry. I'll be with you, and you'll be well again." 
Now, this happened almost 13 years ago, and, and the doctor who heard the story was uncomfortable with it. And so, so were the boy's parents were actually very uncomfortable with this story as well. And the parents even said, we're, we're not churchgoers. This, this, this story makes no sense to us at all. We, we weren't brought up this way. And so for the last 13 years, they tried to convince their now 20-something-year-old just to be quiet. Don't, don't tell anyone about this story. The parents said, no matter how many times we tried to convince, to convince our son that he was mistaken and, and perhaps this was only a dream, he, was having, he, was, he wouldn't have any of it. He said he would never deny the time he was carried in the arms of God. Am I going to tell you this morning in the midst of your pain and suffering that a man in white is going to show up and carry you? Nope. I, I have no idea. But I will tell you this. He will carry you. He is a God of truth and of tears. And at that point in your life when you think you can't handle it anymore, in that time, He will pick you up. When you drop to your knees and ask Him to help, He weeps with you and says, I'm here with you. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, God, we are so thankful that we can open our Bibles to, to the story of Lazarus and find healing and comfort and truth and a God that sits by, inside, by our side and cries with us in our time of pain. God, we are so thankful for that. God, we, we thank you for, for the ways that you, you, you are able to pick us up when we fall short and when, when life is tough for us, God, you are by our side. God, may we always, may we always just ha- be able to look towards you for truth and tears. God, thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come into our time of invitation, we want to give you an opportunity to respond to what you've heard. You know, whenever you lose a loved one, it's tough, and there's a lot of pain, and there's, there's mourning. But I also know this. The Christian is able to get through that pain a little bit better than someone who does not yet believe or has not yet been baptized. If you want to know the Jesus that, we, that I know, the one that comes by your side in your time of mourning, and you want to get baptized in a new life, we would love to do that for you this morning. Or maybe you're looking for a new church home, a church that serves alongside its community, that has compassion for its community, where its members don't stand out on the streets and yell at people that they need to believe in Jesus. Then this is your church. Because we don't do that. I hope you're not doing that. (laughs) You wouldn't want us to be doing that. But if you're looking for a church home and want to be a part of that, during our time of invitation, that would be a time to come forward as well. Maybe for you, it's a tough week. It was one of those weeks. And you just need prayer. We would love to pray for you. Our elders are here. I'm here. We, we, we love praying with people. We know prayer has a powerful impact on people's lives. And if that's you, as we stand, our, stand and sing our song of invitation, we would ask that you would come forward as well. Now it's time to go. And as you go, remember Jesus came to earth in the form of God to show us what God is truly like. John 11 is all about a balance between truth and tears. When, you're hurt, when you are hurt, Jesus comes alongside of, of you and comforts you like no one else can. This week, allow God to comfort you through the tears or to use you to comfort others who are experiencing tears. The truth will set you free and the tears will come, but God is the same and is with you through it all. Have a great week.